Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1481 entitled Lord of Dragons, David Drake. Our podcast title is Can You Pod Sled? I don't know. Alaska. I I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And today we are going to be doing a bit of an in memoriam Mm -hmm. for US American genre author David Drake. Mm -hmm. And also having a look at a new series of True Detective, uh, season four. Yes. Called Night Country. Yes, it has the subtitle, but it is technically the season, the fourth season of that acclaimed series. Mm, Yes. Now, and I actually found it very, very... uh, Chilling. We <laughs> yes, lots of icy dread. We yes. uh, have got lots of thoughts on that one when we get to it. Yes. So, look, I've been holding off on an obituary for David Drake, as it needed a bit more time and space than usual. Uh, David Drake, David A. Drake. I don't know what the A stood for. It might have been Andrew, but he was going by the quantity of books with his name on the spine that I own. Very likely, my favourite author, and certainly. Uh, if you multiply the 80 or 90 titles that I've got on my shelf, and like takes up, you know, masses of shelving. Uh, if you multiply that by the number of times that I've casually just picked one off the shelf and found myself completely rereading it, not just one sometimes, but the whole cycle. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, he was born on September the 24th in 1945 in Iowa and died in North Carolina, December 10th. 2023, aged 78. And I believe that uh, Brian Lumley, the great British horror author, also died in that time. And he's another one who also deserves a fairly large span of attention to talk about his work. Now, Drake's books obviously are special to me. I didn't just get these as review copies, though I did delight whenever that did happen. (laughs) So... Um, his work reminds me of Robert Robert A. Heinlein's and Paul Anderson's and Joe Haldeman's. And all of these authors have written a lot of military science fiction and adventure science fiction and so on. Drake wrote science fiction, horror and fantasy, does the whole zero-G spectrum of genre work. And uh, he majored in history and Latin at the University of Iowa and then went on to study law. And all of this was abruptly interrupted when he was drafted into the US Army for two years. Uh, he served in Vietnam and Cambodia, and he was an interrogator slash translator with the 11th Armoured Cavalry, the Black Horse mm-hmm. Regiment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't have their own vehicles, so sometimes they crewed as loaders or whatever in the tracked armour. So he had a great deal of experience in country. When he got back and went out of the army from 1972 to 1980, back in the United States, or back in the world as they used to say, uh, he was an assistant town attorney in North Carolina in Chapel Hill and eventually became a full-time writer by 1981. And he was a hot mess. 
basically from from war and a lot of that is poured directly into his early stories mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, harrowing harrowing tales a lot of short stories to begin with okay. uh, collected in some absolutely horripilating collections and some of those are I would say that they are the finest horror stories I've ever read. Wow. And absolutely terrifying in a lot of aspects and authentic too, which yeah. is, a t- which is again, even more chilling for a horror story. Yeah. And he covered the full spectrum like vampires, werewolves, zombies, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, ghosts, all mm. sorts of things. Um, and what he actually did was a lot of them are set in Vietnam. Right. So, so he's quite obviously working through his, his oh, trauma yeah. with the, the creative side, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I guess it's um, post-traumatic storytelling in a lot of ways. And he ranged across time and space with his aspirations and his writing, uh, often drawing upon his deep knowledge of history mm. and ancient Greek and classical Roman writings. So often in his books you would find an afterword where he'd say, well, look, I base this upon the story of Mm. this particular general or that particular statesman or this particular war or anti-pirate operation that the Romans conduct, you know, that sort of thing. But he also ranged further afield to uh, the Napoleonic Wars and all sorts of things in terms of his inspiration. I mean, that's actually a great idea. So, you know, and I'd often find myself after reading one of his books and then he'd say, well, you know, I got the humorous scenes from this, from uh, Juvenile or something like that. So I'd go off and read those as well. Yeah, (laughs) right. And he'd read them in the original Latin, (laughs) which is (laughs) no mean feat. So, uh, okay, as I said, um, you'll often find in his books that the characters are a combination of like Robert Heinlein's fearsomely competent practical men and women mm-hmm. um, and with the hard-bitten, sometimes nihilistic work of uh, Joe Helderman, who also was in uh, in the Vietnam War on the right. US side yeah. and sort of acts as a kind of a an other end of the spectrum to Robert Heinlein's um, Starship Troopers and so on. Yeah. Um, and you also see the archetypes cross over in kind, if not name, between the different universes that he writes in. Right, okay. So you'll run into um, a very similar bunch of characters in in the next universe sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> There's one, I guess this is a literary joke or a revenge. You never piss off a writer, no. basically. <laughs> and there was a critic whose name was Platt, his last name was okay. Platt, who wrote a, an unfavourable review at some stage. And he keeps showing up as the most awful <laughs> Grudges will be held. (laughs) Oh, yes, indeed. (laughs) So, um, yeah, Uh, he was a contributor to many shared universes as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, someone would say, uh, let's do a a Car Wars series of novels, which is what it says, you know. It's it's, um, a first-person driver uh, game sort of thing set in a universe where every car is armed and that kind of thing. Right, right. We're going to get someone... sentient? Uh, no, no. Right, okay. Let's get um, David Drake to do one of those. Right. And, of course, he did in his own way. Yeah. Or let's get him to write in the Heroes from Hell okay. universe where we go to hell. Yeah. Literally, quite literally, actually, in a Dante-esque sort of hell. And we find that uh, the heroes from and the villains from uh, the earth are in positions of power in hell. Yeah. So, of course, when you get Drake to do one of those, it's got a very sort of… His spin, yeah. <laughs> yeah, his spin on it. 
Uh, and of course, he edited any number of, of really good collections of short stories, which did orbit mostly around military science fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so a huge amount of work that he did for Bain and Tor books. And they kind of get a bit split in there from his science fiction to his fantasy. Yeah. Uh, because he, he did a lot of science fiction uh, and then sort of pseudo-fantasy and half-fantasy and then started writing big fantasy sagas as right, well. Right, yeah. Triple R. David passed away in December last year. It's taken me a while to sort of come to terms with that, you know, because he's my, probably my favourite author going by number of books alone, uh, and quality too, I think. He was an incredible craftsman when Mm. he wrote. Not a flashy writer, but you know that you'd read a story when you'd read one of of his. So we're talking about his science fiction at the moment. Um, Probably his most famous book series are the Hammers Slammers ones, Mm -hmm. which is just a great title. (laughs) Uh, These are military science fiction set in a future where there are space mercenaries, uh, an interstellar armoured regiment hiring itself out off-world from the colony world of New Friesland. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have super tanks, basically. They're equipped with heavily armed and armoured fusion-powered tanks, uh, open-topped, um, hovering-on-fan-driven air-cushioned combat cars as well. So they've got the... This is a very, very well-worked-out military world system. Right. Uh, they've got power guns which fire plasma bolts liberated from plastic discs, which cool. sometimes jam in the in the in the breach because they they melt. And they worked. He worked. It's all worked out. Uh, it's like fires a bolt that's like a a, a small pyroclastic flow from a volcano. Very devastating yeah. stuff. But it can actually be stopped by something as simple as a um, a leaf in a forest. Where it will liberate all of its energy at once. Yeah, right. So you've got to have, you know, line of sight is very important. They use these for the main gang, guns of the tanks, uh, for vehicle mounted, like machine guns, mm-hmm. for the personal weapons of the troops, and also for air defense, uh, a multi barreled calliope, which is a great word. Yeah. Um, like, you know, like a, like a, um, a steam organ sort of thing, mm-hmm. with lots of barrels so to shoot down missiles and rockets and stuff. Extremely well worked out. To an extent that uh, makes most a lot of other military science fiction look a little bit shallow. Um, the boss of this regiment is uh, Colonel Alloy Hammer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's hardly actually seen in the in the books. They're often often used as a threat to the recruits and the soldiers. <laughs> uh, he's um, he's also got Major Joachim Steuben, who's a sociopath, and naturally he's been put in charge of the military police for naturally. the year. <laughs> Um, in, in charge of a company called the White Mice, much okay. feared. Um, and there's a number of repeating characters throughout the uh, over a dozen books as required. It yep. gets a bit complicated num- numerating them because there are collections as well. Yeah, right. So there's like short stories and also large uh, novels and so on. And as I was saying earlier on, a lot of his stories are based upon classical events or yeah. or novels or, or myths and legends. Mm-hmm. One of them, Cross the Stars, came out in 1984. And he wrote these from in the Hammerverse from 1979 uh, onwards into the 2000s. Wow. Cross the Stars is based on Homer's Odyssey. So about, there's a, a Classic. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there, amazing stories. And 
these are works that I can read more than once mm. and get something different out of them each time. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually quite odd. <laughs> they can also, they're all collected in, in uh, three massive volumes now, but you can still get the individual ones. It's had a lot of effect upon, um, upon the genre. Uh, there's a board game oh. that you can play, uh, a choose-your-own-adventure book, which is... I love a choose-your-own-adventure. This is probably the most harrowing one I've ever read. Oh, gosh, okay. <laughs> and they adapted it for, and you may not know this one, but there was a traveller module board game sort of system. Okay. A science fiction one. They also adapted into that. Um, I'd love to see some little tanks and stuff. And there have actually been people mm. who've done sort of garage model kits and stuff. There always is. <laughs> span off it, you know. Um, look, it's, it is it is the model for anything like that. Mm. Uh, the only one who came close was Keith Lama with his Bolo sentient tank stories. And, you know, this sounds very militaristic. You know, Rob, where are you coming from with this? I'm thinking... There is nothing in any of these stories that in any way, shape or form glorify war. war. Yeah. yeah. And he never actually said that he was anti-war. He just thought that any idiot would <laughs> would know that from the stories. Yeah. But since he did get panned a bit by, by some people back in the 70s and the 80s, obviously any Who idiot... Who hadn't read the Didn't books? know. Yeah. No, you know, it was like, oh. <laughs> uh, And, um, you know, he does actually... Uh, does actually have a lot of time for the camaraderie of the soldiers between each other, you know, for the honour of the yeah. regiment, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, because it's true, you know, in any situation where you've been in any group of people who work yeah. together, let alone under such circumstances. Yeah. And the other thing that he's really good at acknowledging, war changes people. Yeah. You know, I mean, apart from just being plain killed by it, mm. um, none of these people are altogether all there yeah. at any stage and... It's just actually, I think, an unflinchingly realistic look at the whole thing. Yeah. If you're going to do it, do it right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just amazing work in his Hammers Slammers, Slam, Hammers Slammers series of books. Now, he switches over to other ones kind of similar base. There's one set on Venus and a Venus that was uh, as the way we first thought it might be. Right. So it's planetary yeah. jungles and oceans. Okay, yep. And in that they've got uh, like large warships like in World War Two or World War mm-hmm. One, and fast patrol boats, etc. And I mention that because he seems to have picked that up from the 1990s. And in 1996 he did a, a book called Redliners, which is about a busted up company of soldiers headed for the rear mm. echelons. And they find themselves protecting civilian survivors of a starship landing on a hellish jungle world. And that's full of broken people. Yeah. You know, uh, and it's very, again, very realistic, incredible world building. He, he does everything from knowing how to, people do fishing mm. to fixing a, a vehicle to some people being a bit of a naturalist and no, taking note of things as they pass through. Yeah, right. All overlaid with the nihilism and the cynicism and the pragmatic yeah. ruthlessness of the whole thing. Uh, going from that, we've got his Royal, uh, sorry, his Republic of Cinnabar Navy series, mm-hmm. the RCN, uh, which stars a character called Daniel Leary, a lieutenant who ends up commanding starships. And this is a really well worked out one. There are space sailing ships that navigate using uh, kind of um, uh, masts 
through a subspace hyperspace medium. So okay. if you can imagine like sailing ships going through yeah. Yeah, hyperspace and you've got riggers and everything. Yeah, okay. Who are this, wearing space suits. <laughs> they call this, this the Matrix but not that Matrix. Sure. <laughs> so Leary is a, a great character. He's basically honest, a good guy. He's a noble mm-hmm. uh, but he's also an, an excellent navigator as well. It's not easy to navigate through Matrix space. Um, he's accompanied by Mr. Hogg. He's utterly competent manservant mm-hmm. come gamekeeper from his estates. Okay. Uh, he, and, they're all, and a crew of absolutely rambunctious, hard-bitten space sailors. Um, the <laughs> Probably the – I think – is she the chief petty officer? Uh, anyway, one of the uh, – there's a, a woman who's in charge of – a group of the sailors, and she is an absolutely devastating force of nature. Wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, and he is accompanied also by the librarian, Mistress Mundy, a former librarian, actually. Her entire family was executed by the ruling party on her homeworld. Uh, and now she's um, Daniel's comms officer. And she has an aide who came with her uh, called Tavara, who's another sociopath mm-hmm. gun person. Um, she's actually a lot like Amos in The Expanse. You know, she actually has to be in company of human beings just to remind her how to act like one. (laughs) And this is what I was saying earlier on, that some of the um, archetypes are repeated across the universes because they very much remind me of uh, Joachim Steuben and and some of the other characters from the Hammer Slammers universe. Um, The RCN books are more based upon... um, uh, Patrick O'Brien's Napoleonic War, you know, the, um, uh, the Aubrey and uh, mm-hmm. I think it's Martin um, uh, sailing boat series, the warship, British warship one, and a bit like C.S. Forrester's Hornblower as well too. Oh. But rollicking good yarns, and I think there's about uh, 13 of them. And this actually brings me to the point, there's some of these books I haven't caught up with yet. Oh. So I've, I, I've got some sitting on my shelf That's waiting to good. be read. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a thing with an author who's died. You've got you don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then there's the Igniting the Reaches series, which again has more elements of that sorts of things. And he co-authored novels with authors such as Carl Ed- Edward Wagner, uh, S.M. Sterling, Eric Flint, Janet Morris. Um, some of these collaborations were not as good as others, <laughs> and he was never short to explain that, but he was a very generous collaborator, and you know he just told it like it was, basically. He also did um, work in other people's universe, as we were saying before, including the Honor Harrington books by David Weber, which are very well-known. Mm-hmm. Space Navy series. Um, there are so many of his series that I, I can't possibly list them all here. Um, Ranks of Bronze with the Roman Legion you know, in 1986, where a Roman Legion under Crassus in Parthia is destroyed in the desert. Or were they? Now, in history, there's all sorts of interesting speculations yeah. about the survivors being taken prisoner mm. and going to China oh. and fighting there as mercenaries. Uh, lots of weird stuff there. But what if they were scooped up by aliens seeking mercenaries? And that's what happens in this book. What if indeed? Um, there's a trading authority out there who's bound by some kind of uh, rules. If they want to do trade on a, a planet and there's trouble, they can only use people armed with the indigenous types of weapons. Right. So if there's a planet where they're using spears and they swords, still, they have to have troops. who, gotcha. And that's what the Romans are for and they are the best in the universe at that. Mm. Uh, casualties are not uh, restored by 
picking up further people from Rome, mm-hmm. but by reviving them. They, a mm. dead person could be revived unless they've had their head damaged. <laughs> so there's this whole bunch of Roman okay. legionaries going through time basically because they're just being restored. Yeah. But they do not take well to being slaves because they are <laughs> Romans. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, moving from that to one of the great horror books of all time, science fiction books with Carl Edward Wagner, and there's a story in that but I won't go into that, called Killer, where a Roman beast hunter supplying the arena trade is tasked with capturing a lizard ape alien. Now, if it lays its eggs, these lizard apes will swarm out and destroy the world. They are that lethal. It's a bit like an alien if an alien xenomorph got through to Earth in a pre-gunpowder age. Oof. Again, incredible novel. Uh, Birds of Prey is another one set in the Roman world. Then there's short stories called Vettius and His Friends, mm-hmm. where a centurion is an imperial troubleshooter. Uh, he and his merchant mate get into all sorts of... Pr- adventures and again it's like full spectrum fantasy and science fiction there you know ghosts uh cannibals uh, (laughs) magic everything in there it's got the whole nine yards yeah a giant shark a megalodon a meg yeah when they're out at sea all sorts of great stuff those horror collections uh night's Night and Demons from 2012, From the Heart of Darkness in 1983, one of his best collections, mm-hmm. one of his most horrific. There's a, one in there that's a Cthulhu story set in Africa. Oh, wow. Uh, called uh, Out of Africa. Uh, there's one called The Automatic Rifleman mm-hmm. about a haunted rifle. Oh, I like that. Uh, but it's actually an, an alien, I think, come to think of it. Uh, <laughs> then there's Men Like Us. Uh, set in a post-atomic war world where there are mutants hunting down and destroying anyone who's attempting to rebuild an atomic plant. Oh. With good reason in the story. Uh, his time safari, one where there are people going back and hunting dinosaurs, <laughs> as you do. There's a very Ray Bradbury feel to that. Uh, all, to the way to, all the way to the gallows, which is actually incredibly grim black humour Drake stories where he's trying to be funny. Oh. <laughs> he actually is, actually. He can do that quite well. Um, anyway, we're uh, talking about his fantasy novels now. Um, the Sea Hag in 1988, which uh, I think was um, – I had uh, – the copy has uh, – that I've got the world of the crystal walls on it. The standalone one uh, about a young man who leaves a magic kingdom and goes out into the jungle and mm. finds a, a hidden city and all sorts of – Good uh, stuff happens, yeah, right? No, nothing good. <laughs> nothing good at all. Nothing good. Uh, Old Nathan in 1991 is an extraordinary collection of stories about a, a mountain man who basically – has magical powers. You know, how you get magical powers if you're in the back, backwoods. Yeah, nature provides. <laughs> well, in his case, he was in the uh, the Revolutionary War um, and he's a veteran and he got his testicle shot off at a battle, right. came back and had magical powers, <laughs> which means that he can talk to his cat and his oh. cat can talk to him and, and other animals as well. Right. And it's just amazing stuff written mm. like... Very grim indeed, folk tales. <laughs> so then we go to his larger fantasy series, his big ones, uh, Lord of the Isles. Mm-hmm. And it's like he just, you know, it's like uh, he's just discovered how to write these big fantasy sagas. So, like nine books, uh, you know, because that, that's where the money is, <laughs> oh, really. Oh, yeah. But the, the craft that he's, 
put into those is incredible. And they're, they're actually quite hilarious. I, I went for a, for a period where I was reviewing those on Zero-G mm. as they came out. Wow. And <laughs> uh, after a while you begin to – you detect his formula in it. And there was a formula which meant – that the main characters at the start of each novel would often end up falling through a portal or being right. kidnapped and end up alone or in groups uh, somewhere else where Some they had to foreign, yeah, yeah okay. had to figure out things. Yeah. And they're all the same. Good premise. <laughs> yeah. But you got so used to it, you really started enjoying the, yeah. the way they handled each each situation. You know, there was a magic shepherd with an iron shod oak quarterstaff who was able to twirl it and create magic. Oh, that's cool. As well as just plain pop you on the head with it, uh, a magic weaver, literally a woman who could kill or entrance with a cast of her skine of, of thread, uh, a soul, a sailor who gave no ground on land or water on sea to any person or thing, oh. any monster. Uh, you know, so there's all these really interesting yeah. things there. But um, I actually think he captured something there Rather Arthurian, yeah. Uh, Arthur, like to Thomas Mallory's stories, where there'd be little vignettes mm. and go and have an adventure. And I felt that was very, very primal in fantasy yeah. terms. So a huge amount of those. And speaking of King Arthur, he, the Time of Heroes series, the more recent one, um, which is a reworking of the story of King Arthur mm-hmm. in a world of realistic magic. And when Drake did realistic magic, he did it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Parallel to that is a, a novel that he did called The Dragon Lord, which is probably one of the, the oddest Arthurian novels I've ever read, and I've read a few. I was going to say, that says a lot. <laughs> uh, where a ruthlessly ambitious and avaricious King Arthur and a Merlin driven beyond the edge of sanity mm. by his very much mistaken pride and belief that he can harness dark sorcery to his own ends. Mm. You know, <laughs> Always the, gets him. Ah, the Dragon Lord, very strange Arthurian book. You know, So... Some of um, work, Drake's works, if you want an entry point into it, so you can get them from the Bain Free Library as a free download. Amazing. So, yeah, you know, there's some starter ones in there. Um, the horror stories, if you're into that, Hearts of Darkness yep. um, or Nights of, Night of the Demons, um, you know, that sort of thing, they're, they're good starter points. You'll get a sense, yeah. Yeah, you know, the Hammer Slammers, um, Space Tankers books are still in print. Um, there are some good uh, anthologies yep. of those around. And the um, the uh, Lord of the Isles series, again, if that what you're, if you're for the fantasy um, yep. fans, that that's there. So, you know, what a mighty body of work yeah. Drake has done. Yeah. Um, exceptional craftsmanship. He was a workman, mm. you know, and I just loved his books. I still do. And, and I know that if I go and pick one off the shelf, mm. I will emerge from that a few hours later <laughs> having read the whole thing. Yeah. So yep. I have to be careful there. Look, um, basically just thanks for all the great reads, Snake. Really enjoyed them. <sighs> Yeah. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. This is our 30th year on Zero G. Somewhere in October we hit that It's amazing. And just thinking about it, you know, when we started out, I was hand editing audio tape. (laughs) Young Rob. Well, still young. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, young. Um, Still childish. (laughs) 
So we wanted to intro a little bit about a new season that Rob and I have been catching up with. I'm a couple of eps in, and Rob, you're more than halfway through at the moment. Yeah, uh, two-thirds. Yeah, but we thought we'd intro it a little bit and give people a chance to catch up with it, and we'll probably return to it again a bit later, I think, Mm. to have a bit more of a dissection. Return to the scene (laughs) of the crime. (laughs) So it is True Detective Night Country, which is the fourth season of the crime drama. It has been about five years since season three came out. Now, if you haven't caught up with the previous seasons of True Detective, fear not, it's an anthology show, so you can catch this season without watching any of the other seasons prior, so it's a standalone. Uh, There are six episodes, each is about one hour or so, so a decent amount of content there. It's streaming on Binge. It's an HBO Max show, so here in Australia you can view it on Binge. Now, the showrunner for the previous seasons, Nick Pizzolato, he was the original creator of the series, but he's actually not involved in this season whatsoever. He had pitched a different idea, maybe he's off working on that idea, but this season is kind of quite separate, which I question why they didn't just sort of get this to be its own thing and not have it under the True Detective banner, but it's not the greatest mystery in Hollywood, I suppose, that I'd like to know about. The showrunner of this season is Issa Lopez. She serves as the writer and director for all of the episodes. She's a pretty well-known and prolific Mexican writer, director and producer, and over the last couple of decades, she has had quite a lot of scripts turned into high-earning, acclaimed films in Mexico. And she's got some really great collaborations coming up with the likes of people of the people with people like Guillermo del Toro and also Noah Hawley and Bloomhouse is producing one of her works too. And I think from what I saw, they've actually already confirmed that they would like to do a season five with her as showrunner of this series as well. I'd be up for that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's dig into a little bit about what this uh, season is about. Okay, so picture this. It's set in the fictional remote town of Ennis, Alaska. It's a couple of days before Christmas and on a isolated Arctic research station called Salal, eight male scientists just disappear Mm. under mysterious and worrying circumstances. From the jump, we're pretty much thrown right into the action and we learn a bit more about the detective Danvers and Navarro who investigate the crime and start to wonder and link it back to an old cold case, pun intended. Mm. Uh, And we learn a little bit more about this community, the people within it and the different culture and relationship perspectives that we're going to ultimately impact this crime and this investigation, I imagine. This uh, season was deliberately meant to be a contrast to previous seasons of True Detective. I have a quote from Lopez, the showrunner, and she says, where True Detective is male and it's sweaty, night country is cold and it's dark and it's female. Well, one of the other seasons was set in Louisiana, so, you know. It's, it's very much she's coming in with a bit of a juxtaposition here and already from the very get, you're really picking up those vibes. There's a lot of inspirations. So she mentioned a couple of inspirations which really stand out straight away. So the Overlook Hotel from The Shining, The Thing, Hmm. um, the Nostromo from Alien. And she was also inspired by a track called Bury a Friend by Billie Eilish. So she was actually listening to this song. She really liked the mood. She really liked the lyrics. And so while she was writing this season, she feels like she was actually really quite inspired by this track and it sort of formed an influence on where the plot went and and so on. And then they ended up using it for the title sequence. It's a little bit spoilerish, really. (laughs) (laughs) Don't listen too closely to the lyrics. Hum it. it. 
so yes, we're talking about True Detective Night Country. It is set in a fictional Alaska, and so setting is obviously a big factor here. It's dark, it's snowy, it just feels cold. And so all of the events that are happening just take on this extra weight because you can't see anything. It's just totally foreign kind of environment, to me at least, being somewhere that dark and cold. They're very fond of the long shot of a a police car travelling through pitch black. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yes, it's it's a character in this show. Yeah. Look, this is very familiar territory or tundra. Um, You know, Arctic noir, uh, Mm -hmm. reindeer noir if you're Scandinavian. (laughs) Uh, You know, we've got Arctic Circle, Thin Ice, Helix, uh, Midnight Soul in its original Swedish, uh, Fortitude, Trapped, The Terror, first mm. season of that takes place in the Arctic. The Thing from Another World in 1951, Howard Hawks. Uh, of course, John W. Campbell Jr.'s Who Goes There novella. Um, John Carpenter's The Thing in 82, that's actually in Antarctica. But, you know, a similar sort of vibe there. I mean, you know, it's in the mountains of madness, Lovecraft territory here. I expect (laughs) to find strange penguins and Mm. odd shapes in the night kind of thing. And that's – I think that's where we're going. I'm I'm two-thirds of the way through. I feel I'm in a fantasy world rather than a science fiction one. But I don't know. It could be both. Yeah. So I do think this one – you can tell right away that it has a different tone and may end up being a little bit different to previous seasons of True Detective. It certainly seems a bit more supernatural. Mm. It seems more a bit in touch with, you know, the dark depths. And it's definitely far more horror adjacent. Like yes. they're definitely trying to scare you. They're meant to be creating a feeling of tension. And so this environment's really used to create atmosphere. And it reminded me a lot and not necessarily it's not an icy condition, but it reminded me a lot of Vigil, mm. the crime procedural that we covered uh, a while back on Zero G, which is set on – it's a crime investigation that happens on board a submarine. Yes. And so, again, it's that unusual setting for the crime procedural, but actually, as with Vigil, this one is also firmly centred around our characters mm. and their relationships, their home lives, their struggles, their trauma – And the community. The community clearly has a very fraught history. Uh, There is an Indigenous population in this town as well. And then we start to uncover a little bit of the friction between, uh, you know, activism and the different people that live in the community. Yeah, yeah. And the cast is... Is rock solid, basically. Oh, yes. So let's talk a little bit about who's starring in this. We do have Jodie Foster in her first TV role as an adult. So this is kind of, they must have been something she saw in this that really attracted her to doing this project. Uh, so she's not really done any TV work for a really long time. And she plays Chief Liz Danvers. She's a very no-nonsense, no-bullshit kind of woman. Uh, and right in there, she's... I think Jodie Foster is so amazing in this. Mm. She's really uh, – she's so watchable, even though her character isn't likeable necessarily. Yeah, she's not likeable at all. Yeah. I just <laughs> – she's so fantastic She doesn't have to be. No. And so she is core sort of investigating this crime. And we also have a couple of other – like quite a bit of the police force involved. So we also have Carly Reese. She's playing a trooper called Evangeline Navarro. Now, Reese is an interesting one because she's actually a professional boxer. So she comes from a boxing background. She's also studied criminology. 
Well, so there you go. Mm. So she's really filling this role out. Like she's very believable. She's tough. She's determined, but she also has a little bit of a personal connection and a bit of past guilt around why she feels so invested in solving this current crime. And it's to do a little bit with some past crimes. Um, the actor too, Reese, she's also of Native American descent. And so there's actually quite a few Native American characters in this who are played by Native American actors, which is yeah. these days the very bare minimum. <laughs> it's a very um, First Nations orientated show. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, we also have Fiona Shaw, who plays a character called Rose Ag- Ag- Aguinal. Not sure. Play the character called Rose. She's probably best, most widely known as Art and Petunia in Harry Potter, but she's also appeared in things like Enola Holmes and oh. Killing Eve and Andor. And, of course, we've got Christopher Eccleston. Yes, <laughs> yes, we do have him. He plays Captain Ted Connolly uh, and he's known from Doctor Who mm. and multiple mm. other. I looked at his and I was like, yep, he's a Shakespeare theatre guy, well-known we can't even begin to dig into his his catalogue there. And we have quite a few others playing that round out the investigative force here. We have Finn Bennett, who plays an officer called Peter. And we also have a character, oh, John Hawkes, playing Captain Hank Pryor. He's an interesting actor who you will recognise yes. and not always pinpoint from where. Deadwood. 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 Mm. And he was also in From Dust Till Dawn, yep. Lincoln. And he's one of those key characters where in the beginning you're really trying to figure out this is it. You really try to grip onto like who are the good guys here? Who can I be relating to? And I'm not sure well, there's anyone. Captain Pryor has <laughs> he has the only, as far as I've seen so far, unintentionally funny mm. part in the show. He is waiting for his Russian bride to arrive yes. for a Christmas wedding. Yes, yes. <sighs> Look, everybody else in the town knows what's going on Heavy except sigh. for him. Yeah. Yeah, and I think this is a good sort of place to say that obviously similar to True Detective previous seasons, this is very much about the human drama of the people who investigate crimes as much as it is about crimes themselves. Mm. Although the crime itself is a very interesting one. It's unsettling, it's disturbing, and I have only some inklings of where it's going at the moment, only perhaps because I've seen so much of this kind of thing. Yes, yes. I think it will be interesting to see what pathway it takes because from my perspective where am I, I'm at a couple of episodes in, it could veer in multiple different directions. Do you know the funny thing is? It's actually uh, deadlock. Think mm, about it. But Mul- serious. Multiple murders, <laughs> uh, two... two um, Two sleuths who do not get on with each yes, other. Yes, yes. Uh, Strong personalities. Isolated location. Yep. Quirky town people, you know? I mean, quirky's uh, – it's, it's grimmer. Quirky. It's far grimmer yeah. than Deadlock. Yes, very much far grimmer. Um, and I will say they do keep you on the hook. Yep. Each episode, from what I've seen so far, ends with some kind of cliffhanger, big reveal that in, in, you're inclined to then continue, even though I can just see that it's going to take a dive. The mood is going to go down. The vibe is going to stay low. I think it feels quite grim. Is that fair to say? You're yeah. a bit further than me. I do note, I wonder if uh, Liz Danvers is... is related to Carol Danvers because they're the same type of character. In some ways. I don't know. I think Liz, I wouldn't mess with either of them, but no. I definitely wouldn't mess with Liz. But Gosh. they could use Carol there, I can tell you. Yeah. I think <laughs> I think what I find most interesting and what you'll get the most out of this show is, yeah, how everyone is relating to each other. I think yeah. the crime procedural from what I've seen so far is really interesting it's and done too. well. It's yeah. done very well. And there's enough unusual about this set piece and the crime itself that you're like, what on earth? So that really keeps you coming back. But it will depend if you can get past the bleak mood because it 
it really is cashing in on that atmosphere. Oh, yes. And it is going to make you feel dark and dreary <laughs> for days. Yeah. So, so if you like Wallenda. <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, I'll be continuing with Night Country. Will you be continuing with it as well? I, I'm too far. Yeah, to, to you stop. must. You must. <laughs> I must. Um, that's True Detective Night Country. It's on binge streaming now, six episodes, six hours worth of dreary Alaskan icy cold dread waiting for you. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.